Welcome to All Business No Bull. Our special guest today is a wonderfully talented individual who I had the pleasure of meeting via LinkedIn. The wonderfully talented Mr. Dan uh, Darlack, who is a producer and is the CEO of Eight Count to Fame Productions. Welcome, Dan. Hey, thanks for having me. It's good to yeah, be here. Yeah, it's so nice to meet you. And I'd also like to introduce to you, as well as the audience, my lovely daughter, Rebecca. Uh, Rebecca, why don't you also say a little, tell us a little bit about yourself? Of course. Um, I am the CEO of Supreme Soul Films. I direct and edit music videos, uh, photos, visual arts, and covers, like single and album covers for music. But yes. So, Dan, how did you, how did you get into film? What's the story behind that? You know, I always say it wasn't really a choice. It was more of a compulsion. And Rebecca, I'm not sure if you can relate to that because you can't really see yourself doing anything else and being happy. Yes. Um, so I started as an unpaid production assistant, like pretty much everybody else at 18, which I guess is an advantage because, you know, I know a lot of people in their early 20s who are just starting that now. So I'm, I'm glad I got that head start. Um, and then it just networking was the name of the game. Like you said, we met LinkedIn, and uh, that has actually been the cornerstone of my career, luckily. Without it, I would be nowhere, if I'm being quite honest. So, so it sounds like you were big into self-awareness then? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So it sounds, you got your foot in the door through actual hands-on experience. Did you also go to a film school? Yeah, yeah. I graduated from Loyola, Maryland, and I was a communications major. So there was some video production involved lots of basic stuff lots of like you know framing compositions lighting stuff like that but they didn't really teach the business side which i think is critical i don't think it really matters how creative you are if you don't yes. have some sort of grasp for the business side of the uh industry you're not going to make it so how did you create that balance between um like art and business uh, i would say the art was definitely more self-taught just uh watching film I think was the best education I got I think it's far superior of an education than actually going to school for it if I'm being quite honest and uh, as far as the business side I connected with a lot of people more on the business side in LinkedIn so they were kind of the ones that were showing me the reins of the industry cool so was LinkedIn um, kind of like your best um, platform and tool that you got to use to connect with other people I would say I would say it's close between that and IMDb. Just in my experience, I was definitely able to connect with more people on LinkedIn. I mean, I definitely got more responses on LinkedIn for sure. Uh, but the people I was successfully able to come into contact with on IMDb, I think ultimately they helped me more than any given person could have on LinkedIn. So I explore every avenue, try both. I definitely encourage just doing both. Interesting. So the reading between the lines, it doesn't seem like school necessarily maps to success in the film in the in the film business yeah no if i'm being completely if i could redo it i, I think undergrad was a complete honest honestly waste of time and waste of money for for what i'm doing i know um quite a few people who are you know still in high school kind of wanting to get into film and i don't want to say don't go to school but i'm like you, you really don't need it if i'm being quite honest you, you don't unless i mean if it's ucla or usc or nyu even Texas has a great film school. I would say then it probably is worth it just because of the connections you would make there. But yeah. aside from that, I, I really don't think you you need undergrad for a, a successful career in filmmaking. Um, I completely agree with that because I did uh, I did go to Full Sail, but um, I feel like the major like 
take that I got from it um, was the networking, just meeting a bunch of people, not only in the film industry, but because Full Sail is a full like art school, I got to meet people in audio engineering, graphic design, game art, like that was what was valuable to me. Yeah, no, I, there are so many people out in Los Angeles who I've met that have gone to Full Sail. And it seems like it was a great experience and definitely helped, definitely helped for sure. So I would add Full Sail's list. What I'm getting between the two of you is that you can get all the film education that you want, but if you're not driven, it's just not going to work out. Correct. Uh-huh. Yeah, no, if I had to put one word on it, I guess, and as cliche as it might sound, I would probably say persistence. I mean, I know. Uh-huh. It's something like it's something like 90% of people who do go to school for entertainment within five years of graduation, they're no longer in entertainment. So you just kind of have to let the pool filter out a little bit. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think as long as you just kind of and that's the way it is for, for anyone in entertainment. I mean, I know comedians who have done the same thing. Musicians like, you know, the first three years or so, three to five years could be a little rough. But if you just hang in there and you have a, a good uh, circle. No, Dan, you and. Both you and Rebecca touched on something, and I don't want to let it go. Uh, the It's almost like a split brain where you have the right side and the left side, the right being artistic, the left being more analytical. And it sounds as though most, most individuals who go into this line of work, this profession, are concentrated on the artistic. Why do you suppose, after so many years, uh, business is not taught to those who are studying film? I mean, if you really think about it, Dan is like a, uh, uh, as well as yourself, but especially as a producer, you have all the elements of entrepreneurship there, right? Yeah. I, I would probably say just from a consumer standpoint, you only see the creative side. Yeah. So for, if you're going to sit down and watch The Godfather the first time, it's like, mm-hmm. oh, Francis Ford Coppola made it because of the amazing elements of this film. You don't see the, you don't know the story behind the, the production of that. I I know the uh, Paramount Plus had that that series uh, about the making of it, which um, really touched up on the business side of it. So I think, yeah, I just think the consumers, uh, yeah, they only see the creative side. Um, So how did you know you wanted to be in the producer role? Did you, because I know you started as a PA, like many of us do in the film industry. Um, So what other roles did you try out and how did you know that what you're doing now was right for you? Oh, I, I would say I wanted, mainly I wanted to go into the producer role because they are the ones with the most flexibility. If, I mean, if you're the ones who are bringing the money in, you're the ones calling the shots. So if you want to, I would say if you want to be an actor or if you want to be a director or a writer, be a producer before that. So I wasn't sure what I really wanted to do. I don't know if I wanted to be on screen or off screen, but I knew if I was a producer, either way, I'd be able to make that decision. How does one brand themselves as a, as a producer? just say you're a producer i don't know because <laughs> yeah. the first if you just say you're a producer yeah there's no uh there's no degree you can get for that you can't say you graduated with a degree in production so obviously the follow-up to that will be what have you done so just if you're going to say you're a producer at least make sure you've done at least you know something even a short film even a student film i'd say that qualifies you as a producer technically something i've noticed in business at least from with from my experience is after you've done a few deals the deal flow starts to come more towards you because you seem to you your your name gets around people that you've done business with recommend you, uh, especially if you have a very good accountant, they'll recommend you. Is it the same thing with uh, producing? Yeah, there's absolutely a snowball effect. Uh-huh. So I would I would say kind of circling back because I'm still young, so I still know a lot of people. Yes. 
trying trying to make it. Not that I I'm not saying I have absolutely made it yet, but um, yes. I would say that people seem to be under this uh, impression that in order to have that snowball effect, you have to you have to kind of strike gold. You have to make that one short film that you put in the festival and catches fire. I think that's wrong. I think if you're going to have a great start, it's not that you need a, to win awards to start. You don't need a great creative mindset to start. Your first film needs to make money. That's that's that. As long as your first film makes money, the next one will become easier. The next one be, will become even easier than that. But if your first one doesn't make money, when you're trying to get funds for your next one, obviously investors are going to be asking, how did your last one do? And if it didn't make anything, that's really going to scare them off. And it's mm. hard to get people interested in film as it is because it's so foreign to so many people. Yeah. Um, but, you know, even, even with a company I work with, you know, two movies on Netflix, both of which did really well, raked in really nice ROIs, it's still hard to garner interest a little bit from a lot of people just because uh -huh. it's so foreign to them. You did two films on Netflix? I wasn't, directly in, I wasn't directly involved with those, but the company I work with. Um, what films were they? Uh, Driven to Dance was one that came out in 2018. That, that might actually be on Amazon Prime now. Now that I think, uh -huh. that, I think the licensing deal might have been up with Netflix. Uh, and then uh, the second was a movie called The Lies I Tell Myself, which is actually coming to Netflix. The distribution deal has been signed already, but that will be coming to Netflix, I think, uh, this spring or summer. I'll make sure to watch that then. Go for it. You know, it's hard. I mean, I know, I know a financial planner out in Hollywood. He's been a consultant with every major studio out there. And he was telling me not too long ago how there was a script on his desk with Steven Spielberg attached to that. Even that was a little difficult to get funds for. Not, not every script uh, makes it to screen. Actually, the overwhelming majority don't. As a producer, do you source scripts? Oh, no, I mean, they'll always come. There are so many scripts circulating the circuit that you don't ever have to worry about finding a good one, which is good. Um, do you mostly work on films or do you also work on other areas like commercials and stuff like that? So weirdly enough, I just got my first offer to work on a TV show. Uh, just to do the music for that, because I'm also a piano player. And oh, wow. Oh, that's awesome. That's already in post, and the worlds of TV and, and feature film are really different. You'd be yeah. so surprised just how, how difficult they are, even the way they're funded, even what terms mean. There's, it's a little foreign, so I, I'm still getting my uh, feet wet with that. Yeah, you mentioned finance a little bit earlier. Are you responsible for going out and finding financing? Oh, yeah. Producer, you have to be. You can't expect it to come. It's another great entrepreneurial skill right there. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, yeah. LinkedIn is actually uh, coming pretty handy for that. Yeah. <laughs> Without it, I'd be nothing. Where, where do you get most of the financing? Would they be from individual investors, uh, financial institutions, banks, private equity? Yeah, when you're going from when you're going from a project to project basis, it really has mm -hmm. to be individuals, which is why it's a lot harder. Um, mm -hmm. luck, luckily, we're about to actually upscale the company and you know, have a slate of projects and have actual investment into the company rather than project to project basis. So private equity firms and, and banks will probably get more involved here, which is a lot easier. All right. It's beginning to click in my head now a little bit better, your explanation, why you want to get a few successful films right away under your belt. Because now these individuals will probably want to continue to invest with you. Therefore, they may bring their friends on board, etc. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's you know, always... I'm sorry, go ahead. No, it's always whoever's investing, they always they always know people. They uh -huh. always have buddies who will be interested in the next one. So you better make sure the current one 
makes money because of not just the short term reward, but there's I I would personally argue more long term reward when you're first starting out. You know, I was having a conversation with Rebecca once, and she was telling me, Dad, I don't see films the same way that I used to. She says, like now that I'm watching a film, I'm thinking about the camera angle. I'm thinking about how it was filmed. And now you're making me kind of think along the same lines. Every film that I've seen has been financed. And you and I and Rebecca and, and the next door neighbors have seen some awful movies. And I'm wondering how they were, how that idea was even sold. Yeah, you know, it's amazing as because there are a lot of bad movies out there. But the fact that it made it to screen in and of itself is definitely, definitely a, a, an accomplishment. Yeah, I, I think it's something like 0.03% of finished scripts actually make it to screen. Mm -hmm. So, but as far as as far as why some absolutely god awful movies get the funding, secure the talent, get the distribution, I would say I would say that probably has to circle back to the funding because it's not hard to get talent. I mean, if you have the money, mostly agents just care if you have the money. They don't particularly always care about the script. Um, it, I mean, if you're a much high level actor I, I would say there's more of a concern there because you have more of a choice you can make but generally speaking if if you secure the uh distributor sorry if you secure the funding securing the talent should is shouldn't be that hard and if you have both of those the distribution will definitely come so what you're doing is entrepreneurial and very much like a project manager yeah for sure always putting together how, how do you do that yeah i i personally uh use references from people i know uh mm -hmm. when i was really just getting started uh and i was not assembling the teams i was the ones being assembled mm -hmm. uh usually uh the for whatever metro area you're in they always have some film office website where job listings could be posted so uh -huh. that's a great place to start but now now i really i with the people i work with out in la i i kind of let them uh handle that but everything you're telling me sounds very much like almost like a conductor of an orchestra and a lot of things can go wrong there. I don't know how you do it, man. <laughs> stressful job. More things can go wrong than can go right. Um, yeah. yeah, no, it's definitely stressful, but then I, I remind myself and I'm sure a lot of people can relate. So I hope this provides at least some source of comfort, but I, whatever the stress kicks in, I'm like, well, at least I'm not doing something else. I'd rather, I'd rather have the stress doing what I love than having the security of doing something I'm miserable with. <laughs> Yeah. So it balances out and it's worth it. Yeah. When, when I think I'm almost getting a headache just thinking about all of the, all of the things that you probably have to deal with. See, for example, if I want to start a business, I don't necessarily need a business plan because business plan is basically a guess anyway. I've never seen a business plan fail on paper, but yours is the real deal. You have to figure out how much how much people are going to be paid. You're thinking about schedules. You probably have to deal with problem individuals as well, too. So when you get your funding, do you typically ask for two, three, five times as much as you think you really need just to be on the safe side? Generally, a, a tiny bit more. You just want to create that cushion, but you never want to ask for too much because then you're creating more of a gap you have to cover on the back end. So uh -huh. I would never I would never ask for more than just a, a little, just a tiny bit of insurance. Yeah. Do you also do documentaries, by the way? I do not. You haven't come up, they haven't been presented with the opportunity or not really interested in documentaries? No, I'd say it's more so I just haven't been presented with the opportunity, really. I th if the right one came along, I'd, uh -huh. I'd consider it. But I, th I think narrative features are more, more up my alley. That's what I found myself falling in love with.
What does a regular day look for you on and off uh, of set? Uh, there is no regular day. There's no such thing as a regular day. I always get asked that. And that's what I love. Every, every day is something different, depending on what phase of production you're in. I mean, when you're in development, it's going to look drastically different than when you're in post, when you're on set. That's a whole other world of problems. I think that's where most of the problems come from. I think, I think most people would probably agree with that is during production because one, you only have a certain amount of time to, to get the shots in. And, you know, you always try and form a plan. All right, once we get there, we're going to do this. We're going to bang out this shot. Then we're going to, you know, do rearrange the set to do this. But once you get there, you realize there's so, always some unforeseen circumstance. Like maybe I, I can't even think of a general example because it's always something different, but it's usually something pertaining to the dimensions or the framing of the set, which you've, you haven't been there in person yet. So you can only plan for it so much. And then that you have to, it's a snowball effect. Yeah, I completely agree. Yeah. I feel like we're, we're not even like people in film. We're like problem solvers. Every time we go on set, that's our job. Are you pretty much open to producing anything or do you set certain limits that I will not do sports? I will not do adult video. I will not do, uh, for example, I will not produce training films for corporations. Um, no, I like to keep my options open from a genre standpoint. Yeah, I'd say adult video is pretty much off the table. <laughs> uh, aside from that, if it's a good story, it's a good story. Um, I haven't worked with too many people. I'd say I'd never work with them again. I've had pretty. I've been fortunate enough to have pretty good experiences, and everyone I've worked with has always meant well. So, no, uh, I'm pretty open. So, how long have you been producing, and how long have you been producing in Los Angeles? I think my first production where I dubbed myself producer was a short film which I shot two summer. I think it was the summer over COVID, um, and I will chalk that up to inexperience because it never got finished um and so i started out in los angeles about a year ago um so do you believe that you have to be in one of the big cities like atlanta los angeles new york to make it in the film industry this is this is a question i can definitely relate to so i was always <laughs> asking people that and they were always I'd say most people said, yes, you have to be in New York or L.A. A lot of people said L.A. is really the place Then I always met those few people who were like, you know, you really don't have to. And I noticed that they had very they had very fruitful careers in, in entertainment. And so I kind of took their word for it on a bit of a gamble. And so I I'm out here in Maryland for now. And so far it's gone well, I think solely because of just the times we're in where you can connect with anyone over the internet i would say it's really it's not it's not quintessential but i would say the people you are connecting with should be based out of those two cities they should be at the studios they should be at the big production companies they should have prior experience um in filmmaking and the majority of those people are in new york or la and yeah atlanta is becoming a hub now so you, yeah you mentioned COVID a little bit uh, earlier did that create any problems for you in, in terms of uh, work, in terms of uh, being on a set, in terms of uh, putting, uh, getting people to work? Initially, I'd say yes. When I yeah. first started out in Philadelphia, which is not a great film market, I know that the local government there is trying to change it. They just redid all the tax credits up there to try and incentivize people to start filming up there. But yeah, no, I would say for sure. I would say for sure it initially affected me because when I was getting started in Philly, I didn't realize that a lot of the reasons things were going wrong was simply because 
they didn't have those connections to the bigger production companies, the distributors or the studios. I thought it was a lot more complicated. It was a lot more of a struggle. And I thought that's just, that's the way it was, but really it was just a lot more complicated because it wasn't based out of either one of those cities. It was based out of a pretty secondary film market. I'm beginning to get the idea that there's a certain personality type, not necessarily that fits the mold of being a producer, but a certain personality type that cannot be a producer. Would you, is it possible for someone, an un, indecisive person to become a producer? Oh, if indecisive, yeah, for sure. Yeah. You have to, it's important. Again, it's important to have balance. You want to be able to, you can't be so set in your own ways. You uh -huh. have to get other, you know, you have, you have to have a good team around you who is going to help steer you in the right direction. But also you have to have some sort of sense of, direction and you know where you're taking it so in case shit ever hits the fan you know you have a plan have you ever worked with difficult directors or difficult uh other team members had difficulties with them i wouldn't say difficult because of their personalities i would just i would say just uneducated we were all uneducated at one point i i mean i will be the first to tell you there was definitely a point where i had no clue what i was doing but i uh -huh. thought i was going in the right direction um, so yeah, but you know, it's nothing to be upset about that you brush shoulders with people who are like that. I was absolutely one of those people and I'm sure in many ways I still am not to sound like I'm full of myself. I always have to bring myself down a peg and remember, Hey, I'm 23. I have a lot to learn still. You're only 23. Yeah. I would, I would have never guessed, man. You would have guessed I was 17 looking at my face. Well, I've had, I, too, I've had too many of my real IDs taken by bouncers. No, you do look very young, but you carry a certain gravitas with you about you that I thought you were older. Oh yeah, thank you. And I, I have no problem looking young. When I'm in my 50s, I'll look like I'm in my 30s, so. That, that's always nice, that's always helpful. Freelance versus working for a production company. The pros and cons for you personally? Uh, I prefer working freelance for sure. Freelance, of course, you know, and it doesn't matter what field you're in, you're your own boss, you make your own schedule. But again, you have to realize with that, you're only gonna go as far as you allow yourself, so. As rewarding as it can be, you have to put a lot of pressure on yourself. It takes uh -huh. it t definitely takes a certain type of person to be a freelancer. Um, and then working for a production company, I, of course, I definitely encourage that when you're getting started, so you can learn the ropes. I would never, I would never encourage anyone to be a freelancer right right off the bat. Um, but you know, you you can only go so far. You can only have so much input, which I I like having uh, you know enough say to speak my mind and you know i get it being young people are only gonna listen to you so much which is understanding but i you know i'm definitely grateful that people listen to me as much as they do Pre, uh, just uh, not too long ago rebecca and i were having a conversation you know how every once in a while we hear about some celebrity that is od'd uh decided unfortunately to terminate their life and uh, people ask why uh, they sometimes just say how, or that maybe the individual is unhappy. And one of the avenues that we were searching for is that in business, you have to, to be successful, you have to be very optimistic, right? But then again, you're dealing with art in your situation, in your case, as well as musicians, other artists, they're dealing with art, which sometimes goes into our shadow, goes into the dark side. Uh, how do you, how do you balance that? where you can, like someone like an Edgar Allan Poe wrote about some incredibly morbid things, but was a very successful poet, right? So everything you're going to produce is not going to be a comedy. 
So how were you able to be to to, to be so up upbeat and uh, and uh, success oriented with with deal when dealing with the negative side, the dark side? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I don't think it's any coincidence that a lot of people in art, a lot of celebrities, even though they have the luxurious lifestyles that a lot of people envy are battling unhappiness. It's not, they're not depressed, they're celebrities. I think they are oftentimes are become celebrities because they were depressed at one point. Um, Personally, I I find dealing with that and I, you know, I really haven't had too many projects that were really dark. Um, But I I don't think that would be much of an issue for me, honestly, because, you know, you know, we, we've all gone through those episodes and I, I, I'm no stranger to that. And, but I know that that's, for the most part behind me now. So I think just having that hindsight and kind of having that boost of, you know, I conquered it, you know? Yeah, so you kind of compartmentalize that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, because if you ever look at like uh, stage acting or maybe novellas from some of the Latin countries where when they're acting, it almost sounds like they're on stage, they're giving declames uh, louder than people normally speak. And we all know that's not the way people behave. And then when they try to be more realistic using a Stanislavski method, then sometimes uh, uh, artists get so deep into character that they, they can actually become depressed because they're trying to feed into that. The, do, can that affect producers as well, or are you just totally divorced from that? I, I haven't found myself being affected by that at any point. Huh. And yeah, I think people are affected. I, I think people... Uh, look at that different ways if, if they're in entertainment. I think, um, and I'm I'm going to reference a podcast I was just listening to um, by, I think it was Bill Burr, if you're familiar with that comedian. He was yes, talking yeah, about definitely, how, yeah. I love him, I love him. He was talking about how comedians and actors examine pain so differently, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, actors look at it, you know, so, so deeply and, and so intricately and really try and understand it, whereas comedians just kind of gloss over it. <laughs> and it kind of it kind of helps them both in in different ways. At the end of the day, yeah, it's their shadows that are kind of helping propel their careers. Um, what genres have you mainly worked with? I have I've I've covered mostly mostly kind of just rom com musical kind of driven projects. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not I wouldn't necessarily say that's where my heart's at. Um, but the past two projects have been that. And when I was in Philly, that was. That was also a musically driven project. Yeah, that was a, a project called uh, Metronome. And uh, it was about a kid who was depressed and kind of found solace in a, in a jazz club. So Interesting. Where do you see yourself, Dan, in maybe another five or 10 years? I, I Honestly, I don't know the answer to that question. I'm kind of okay not knowing the answer to that question. Um, I, like, I like exploring every avenue and seeing what, what could come about. You know um, why I'm smiling? Because I asked her exactly the same question a, a little bit earlier, and she gave exactly the same response. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I think there's a, some kind of a, a commonality here, huh? Yeah. No, I mean, you, you have to, you know, to, to a degree, you have to have some sort of long-term structure, knowing that yes. you're going to be secure five years from now and being able to support yourself and not homeless. You have to know that. You have to uh-huh. – Confident in that regard, but as far as uh, day-to-day, what am I going to be doing day-to-day five years from now? I have no idea. As long as I'm putting food on the table for myself and my family, that's all I do. Yeah. Um, sorry, a couple things. Um, I wanted to ask you about your growing pain as a producer. What are some things that you dealt with that were hard and that you learned from that you feel like kind of made you a better person and uh, 
like producer in the industry? Uh, I would say it, it, it always stems from the experiences of the people you work with. I mean, 99% of the people I've met in entertainment have been some of the nicest people ever, but there are always those few who kind of fit the stereotype of just the asshole, the pretentious asshole. And uh, it's their way or the highway. So kind of having to uh, work with that, I think, has given me a, sort of a sense of how to deal with stuff in the future. And how do you deal when you're talking to your investors, when you're trying to fund the project, um, how do you talk to them and how do you deal with uh, their um, what's their the reservations, word? their reluctances, yeah, yeah. Yeah. hesitations? Um, honestly, I, I think this is also a, uh, a big thing that a big personality trait that you, you really should have if you're in film, it really helps. And I'm, I think it's also important to be very genuine about the stuff. I, but I just, I honestly, I love people. I value my relationships when I'm getting on the phone with an investor. I, I don't want just to get into the business side with them. I, you know, I want to also be part of the journey with them. I want them to be part of the journey with me. And so I want, you know, to have a, a very solid foundation and chemistry. And so you just have to kind of not only, I would say, be a business person with them, also try your best to be a friend with them. Um, so do you kind of pitch the entire project, uh, to the investor over the phone, over zoom? Is it kind of like a treatment process? Do you do it with a director? Uh, no, it's, you, you generally have to be as straightforward as you can be. The less steps, the better, just have the business plan and just start going for it. So as long as, as long as you, it doesn't matter if you have a director on board or if you have a whole team on board, or if it's just you, you still need the money. So just go, go right to source. So it's kind of like a elevator pitch for your production, like short and simple and to the point. Uh, yeah, I'd put it that way. I'd say, yeah, initially it's the elevator pitch and then the inevitable millions of questions will follow, which is completely understandable. So yeah, it's always different. Um, and you said you use LinkedIn to find these investors, right? Like, how do you know the right person or people to ask um, to fund the projects? Uh, you don't always. It's, it's kind of a hope it sticks kind of process. I mean, you can always do the uh, type in keywords like executive producer, type in film and cold call those people. Um, that's really the only starting point. Other than that, you, you'll always get the responses that are like, well, if you, uh, hit me up two weeks earlier, it, maybe it would have been a yes, but I just got involved in another project. It, it, it always, it doesn't seem to be always because of the wrong person. It always seems to be more of a timing thing. You just have to get not only the right person, but the right person at the right time. Do you kind of go back to the same people sometimes? Like, do you have a group of people that you bring every project to, to see if they're on board with it? Uh, I mean, generally, if your last one made money, they'll be on board again. If it didn't, they'll oh, Has your last film made money? <laughs> so in the contract we signed, it, the minimum guarantees, it's, yeah. I don't really want to get into the that stuff, but it, it, it probably will. Um, how, do you, how do you know which is the right platform to distribute each movie? Is it all different? That's an ever-changing question, just because the industry is constantly evolving. Um, yeah, no, I, I mean, right now it's, it's just whatever will give you the best deal, really. I think, because it's kind of going through a change right now. I think two years from now that, that'll, that'll change, maybe three years that'll change. Um, I mean, what we're seeing with Netflix, I think, is, you know, there's still a good option now, but I, I don't know if they will be in a few years. Um, I think Apple TV is personal. I personally think that's going to be the, 
the future of independent content. Um, mm -hmm. And then, you know, the studios, they're becoming more exclusive. Um, so, you know, if you go on HBO Max, you're really, you're going to find mostly stuff from Warner and um, not, not much else. So, and then if you go on Netflix, the increasingly more original content and same with that, same with Amazon and Apple. And I think that's ultimately going to be Netflix's problem is they're in the same boat now as Apple and Amazon, but Apple and Amazon have way more money uh, to allocate towards acquisitions. And so they're going to be offering the better deals and then Netflix, they're going to be getting sloppy seconds. <laughs> Do you have any projects currently that you're looking at? You're, you're seeking investors? Uh, yes, I do, actually. Uh, luckily, it looks like the funding uh, is going to be coming uh, pretty shortly. In the same way that you get funding for a project, do you also have backup funding? In other words, other people who are kind of, um, um, in case the funding doesn't go through, you have an alternate source? Is that part of uh, standard procedures, standard business practices? Uh, not not really, honestly. Oh. It's just, if, if it falls through, find someone else. It's unfortunate right. but that's what it takes what do you suggest for um the indie the s uh, small indie people that are trying to produce their films uh i would honestly say avoid film festivals really, really? Oh. i honestly would say that uh because like i said earlier the most important thing is that your first project makes money uh film festivals it's like 80 percent of winners don't even get distribution so go straight to the to funding it don't even focus on the festivals yeah no i would so it's it's like so one of the first and probably the most valuable piece of uh advice i ever got was from one of my uh, uh contacts out in uh los angeles who uh he's kind of an elder of hollywood at this point he's been there longer than i've been alive he has this uh theory he, he calls it triple conundrum and basically what that means is you need three things uh, mm -hmm. for a film to be at least make it to screen uh, you need the funding you need distribution and you need talent if you get one of those things the other two they'll come if you get one of them the other two will come but you can't get one of them without one of the other two so it's a bit of a paradox there um, and I would say it's generally easier to it makes more sense to get the funding first is my personal uh, opinion but that's mm -hmm. also the hardest part um, so I guess I guess my advice to people trying to get their indie film made is spend as little money as possible, but upsell the production value as much as you mm -hmm. can. Um, have you ever tried a like crowdfunding technique? Uh, I've personally never tried that. Okay. Mm. Um, I, I think that's also, I mean, I'll, I consider myself very lucky that I didn't have to because most people do have to. And the reason I didn't have to is just because I made a, a right connection at the right time who kind of brought me into their circle and I was kind of able to piggyback off of them. When you mentioned earlier about avoiding the indie, uh, 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 avoiding the film festivals, was that more so because they're in almost entirely focused on the art rather than the business producing? Absolutely, absolutely. They're much more niche. And I should probably rephrase. I would, I would avoid film festivals for feature projects, yes, short films. I think it. I mean, short films they don't really turn our turn a, a return as it is. Mm -hmm. So it's a good, it's a good way to get recognized. And I would yes. definitely say you have to realize that there's only so much reward in short films. So you know, if you want to make a short film, I would never discourage that. But I'd also say be mm -hmm. practical. Don't spend a lot of money on it. Don't spend a lot of time on it. That's definitely coming from experience. What you're saying is bringing a smile to my lips, a stream of consciousness. Because I remember years ago when I was a student in UCLA, 
I took a class in Latin American films, right? And one of the films that are, it wasn't a film class. Well, we had a film class, but this was a different class where the professor was raving about this French film called Sunday in the Country, in French, Dimanche à la Compagne. And what a great film it was and that it had gotten all sorts of awards. So I thought, okay, well, I'll go, and, I'll go and see it. So I went to some artsy movie theater and the entire film was about a French family having a lunch. <laughs> that was it. They were just sitting around a table eating and talking. <laughs> yeah, there's no such thing as a bad idea. It's all about the execution. Yeah. I don't know if that movie made any money, though. <laughs> I'd have to I'd have, I'd have to look it up, but uh, it was probably one of the most boring films I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, so maybe they didn't execute it perfectly then. <laughs> I don't I don't know. I'm sure in a different universe, uh, something exact same concept could have made for a very interesting film. Yeah. Would Would you be Would you ever consider or be open to doing foreign foreign films or work uh, with uh, foreign um, filmmakers? Yeah, I mean, why not? I mean, you you kind of always have to to a degree to get international distribution. Uh -huh. Um, but you know, I, yeah, no, I'd, I'd never be opposed to that. Really, as long as it's not porn, I, I'll be. <laughs> Are there any specific like directors or actors or anyone like in production that you want to work with in the industry? I would love nothing more than to work with Quentin Tarantino, but that'll probably never happen. <laughs> okay. So how about, uh, some of like your top five movies that, uh, inspired you to be who you are today, like a producer. That's good. That's good. Um, top five. I would say. I would say number one is probably Schindler's List because I think the whole point of movies and the one thing that everyone can relate to in filmmaking, the reason they want to be in filmmaking is because they saw one movie that made them feel something. Yes, it, it moved them in some direction. And I, I can't think of a film off the top of my head that did that more for me uh, than Schindler's List. And I'd also, I'd, I'd probably say uh, Shawshank Redemption was another one, The Godfather, those types of movies that they're very character driven. And yeah, there's just something um, about the characters that kind of influence you and in, in your perspectives. Interesting. How about uh, uh, some of your favorite Quentin Tar Tarantino movies? So I was just having a, a debate with my friend the other day about this. Um, he he's asked me what my favorite uh, Tarantino movie was. I my favorite, my personal favorite, is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. His was Inglorious Bastards, and we were really heavily debating which one was better. Um, I think I've never seen a Tarantino movie I didn't like, so I think that's a fair answer for sure. But no, I think I think Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is probably my favorite one and i know he did a a, a podcast i want to say it was with howard stern where he he said that was he thought that was his best one uh, i i like that one just i think partially because yes i kind of have that affinity for for old time hollywood and that's really what that's about but I, also what i find interesting about that one is there isn't so much of a plot in that one there isn't so much of the character starts somewhere and then they end up somewhere else i i just feel like in that one every scene kind of serves as its own little short film which is what i find interesting about tarantino mm -hmm. i'm always, I, I mean i'm very amused throughout that entire film even when not much is happening so everyone watching comment below what your favorite uh tarantino movie is well dan if uh if we have uh investors let's say who are interested in getting in touch with you uh, or 
anyone really, prospects, individuals who would like to submit a script, uh, et cetera, what would be the best uh, way for them to get in touch with you? Uh, LinkedIn. <laughs> LinkedIn. Just search, yeah, Dan Darlack on LinkedIn. As far as I know, I'm the only Dan Darlack in the entire world. So it shouldn't be that hard to find me. All right. Well, Dan, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a pleasure and an honor. An honor? Yes, of course. One of these days I'll... One of these days, I'll be able to tell people that I spoke with the great Dan Darlack. Okay. I mean, maybe. <laughs> maybe we'll see. I mean, like I said, my, uh, my, I still have a lot ahead of me. So. Well, you, you're, you're, you're still very young, and you've done a lot. So uh, if, uh, if your experience is any indication of the future, I think you've got a I, – I don't think – I know you've got a great future ahead of you. I appreciate that. Thank you. And thanks for having me on. It's been great. Well, thank you so much. Uh, Dan Darlack, producer – Special guest today for All Business No Bull. Uh, thanks for joining us. At uh, uh, I'm Don. I'm Don Carlos. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and send us your comments. Thank you so much, Dan. Thank you. Thanks for having me.